watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the December episode of the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to talk about seven movies. The Two Popes, Knives Out, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Little Women, Bombshell, and Uncut Gems. And as always, we're going to rate those movies on a three-tiered scale, because there's a lot of math here. There's seven movies on a three-tiered scale. Uh, that's 21. <laughs> Guys, Rebecca's already winded. Uh, uh, um, but we will give them something of a uh, review. <laughs> <laughs> you will hear our thoughts uh, at varying lengths um, about the seven titles previously mentioned. What is it? It's binge it, consume in moderation, and... Life is too short for that mess. Indeed. But it's not too short to do seven movies in a capsule review. No, <laughs> nor is it too short for a two-hour episode, which is what we put out for our November one, if you all uh, you all may have heard that. If you made all the way through, our hats are off to you. Good job. I didn't. I edited it. <laughs> I know. I know it's toward the end that it just kind of stopped being edited, that it was just all just raw audio. I'm like, well, here's where she lost interest and was just fed up and just hit publish and then just went to bed. I think since we're doing it monthly, you could just listen to... What what's what's two hours divided by four weeks is like do it do it in f- something minute chunks uh, once a week. Uh, so that'd be one, so I guess thirty minutes a week. Yeah, there you is go. Is that how that would work out? Yep, that's what that is. Yeah, and I'm so bad at math. It's getting worse. <laughs> you guys have no idea how many takes there were. Rebecca trying to figure out how many movies we were reviewing this month before <laughs> we got to this current one. I counted my fingers. It was um, tough. She took her shoes off. Cool. It was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Always a mess when that happens. I only have three fingers like a Ninja Turtle. (laughs) Or Baby Yoda. Oh. Should we say what's going on with us or should we just start talking about movies? I mean, I think we should just get into it because it's December, so there's probably nothing different going on with us than with pretty much anyone listening. It's December stuff, guys. we're just waging our war on Christmas. Exactly. If we don't, who will? I know. We're celebrating the impeachment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about these four movies very shortly. Do we have it? Are we running this on a time limit? Should we run this on a time limit? I, I'd like to see how it works out naturally. If we just kind of say what we need to say about it and then move it on, we All should right. we should have like a little bell or something. We can just like hit when it's like, and we're done with that one. Ding. Yeah, and then keep it moving. I'll get a bell. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. The first movie is The Two Popes. It's uh, it's out right now. It's available on Netflix. Um, it was a made-for-Netflix movie, right? Yes, yeah. it's a Netflix original. Netflix original. Was it released in theaters? It must have been because it's nominated for something. Yeah, they, they did the festival circuit for it, and yeah, they did have a, a, a qualifying theatrical run as well. So this is one of their three big Oscar contenders, so they're doing everything they need to to get those nominations. Here's what I'm going to say about this movie. I was talking about the movies that I've seen with uh, some friends this week, and we've we talked about like Uncut Gems, The Lighthouse, this one, and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and like Jojo Rabbit. And I feel like if you're gonna like watch a lot of these movies if you haven't seen them yet, a good way to to like space them in between is to like put this right after Uncut Gems, or mm. uh, and then go to like A Lighthouse and then A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because. Uh. Some of the movies that are out are incredibly anxiety-inducing and very stressful. And then this movie is the opposite. Palette cleanser. Real palette cleanser. Uh, what an unexpected, as someone who is notoriously um, anti... 
Pope? No. <laughs> uh, Rebecca is just like, wait, what am I against again? What I against? Yeah, what do I hate? Uh, I, I guess there are layers to this one. I'm, I'm, I'm anti-religion. I'm pro-pope. I think that our listeners are aware of your complicated relationship with all things Catholic. Right. Just going back, to that no, going back to that novitiate review. <laughs> right. Yeah, let's cut that one in right here. Um, <laughs> but what a charming, interesting, uh, unexpectedly funny movie this is that mm. uh, you know captures this moment where the last pope, what is it, Benedict the Sixteenth, Joseph Ratzinger, right, um, the Nazi, as you might know him as uh, the Nazi pope, and you know his interactions with um, Pope Francis, uh, cool pope, you might know him as. Um, their relationship as they sort of navigate the transition between pa- papacy, that's the word, <laughs> the popehood. <laughs> you're like, you're like papacy. Nope. <laughs> papacy. <laughs> papacy. I mean, I, I'm again, pro Pope, pro cool Pope. Um, so was looking forward to it, but I was not expecting it to be this, um, just a really interesting story of one, giving you a little context about new cool Pope, um, mm. with an actor who looks incredibly like him, Jonathan, Jonathan Price. Price, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that he, yet he is, he is not Argentinian himself, Jonathan no. Price. And yet he hits those facial expressions that you and, uh, that you and soul like so much. So <laughs> much. We, so, um, my girlfriend recently went to the Philippines, which is also a very pro Pope area. And she got this. She brought this magazine home called um, I think it's just called the Pope, Pope Pope Times. It, it looks like it's like um, a glossy supermarket tabloid. Yeah, it looks like People Magazine. Yeah. But it's all about the Pope. It's like Pope culture. What like what's the Pope's like little valise? Like where does he get it from? What does he keep in it? Um, it's like those things they used to make about like Princess Diana. Exactly, <laughs> it is. Um, like and one is like the facial expressions of the Pope. <laughs> so good. He's very, uh, uh, my, my girlfriend is from, also from Argentina and was showing me photos of like him being photographed with different political leaders because he very much wears his emotions on his face and it's like him with the old president looking very upset. Um, <laughs> anyway, Jonathan Price captures um, that Pope's uh, facial expression and energy very well. So you were surprised at how much you liked this movie. I, I know you were very excited for it. Um, but in what way did it surprise you? Like, were you thinking it might be a little dry or too much like church talk? You're like, I don't care. Yeah, I thought it would be dry. And um, I, I didn't realize how, I mean, I, I guess this movie also ends up being very also pro new cool Pope. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But just how kind of tender it was and how much they were able to um, show the the humanity behind these people who are kind of i don't know they seem very remote um well more the old nazi pope than the new pope right but um more more abstract figures than flesh and blood people right and so it shows you um you know the struggles that they've been through you know nazi pope more in the in the terms of like his loneliness and uh, how he opens up uh when he has they're developing this friendship um, and then for the new pope, you know, he has a complicated backstory, um, the way he navigated the dictatorship of the 70s in Argentina, which is something, uh, at least here, we don't know, you know, it's like, new cool pope, he's, he's the good one, but he's been spending, I guess, like the last half of his life, basically, kind of making up for the way he, he navigated that situation, mm. which I, I felt was very insightful. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's very much a... a, a a movie about these two men. It's right. not a, a movie about 
the papacy, right? Right. I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah. I'll say it she, again. She found the pronunciation and she wants to flaunt it. <laughs> I'm being very showy with this. <laughs> I, I'm giving this one a binge it. I, 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 you haven't seen this? I still haven't seen this. I no. want to see what you think. Yeah. Um, well, I now that it's on Netflix, I'll download it for my flight tomorrow. Perfect. Um, all right. We've spent too much time on two popes. I mean, there were two popes <laughs> to cover, so. Right. Two popes, too furious. Knives Out. Yes. <laughs> Knives Out, movie number two. You saw this one at? I saw the TIFF. There we go. Ding. I felt like you, we had discussed talking about this one in November. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys, because I was trying to push you and Ashley to watch Waves, which then you, you did. And then I remember you two tried to mutiny me. We when did. You, when you were together watching um, Queen and Slim, mm-hmm. you started texting me being like, Ashley and I have decided that we're going to go see <laughs> Knives Out instead. <laughs> and I was kind of like, be my guest, but I don't think it's coming out. And then it, it, it was not out. It was out. Um, but it had, there was like that one screening or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was like a one preview screening of it or something. Mm-hmm. And But I didn't go. No. Uh, because she was going to see Waves, so I went to go see Waves. Anyway, <laughs> right. um, You're still I sore about it. I yeah. am. So I was interested to see why you weren't like, yeah, go see it. Uh huh. Is it just because you didn't think it was out, or? It- oh no! I mean, I was not against it at all. Um, I was, I was thinking that it was a movie that was coming out after we were taping the show. Uh-huh. Um, which, which it it did. It did come out in wide release after we taped that episode. Um, because I think it came out like Thanksgiving week or something. It was like mm-hmm. a Thanksgiving movie release. And um, and I was mainly honestly, I was just and Waves was already out, and I genuinely just wanted to have like all three of us have a conversation about that movie because it was just like still sticking in my 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 thoughts from from Tiff. Whereas Knives Out was kind of like, oh, well, yeah, it's like a no-brainer crowd pleaser. Like, this is just a just an absolute treat of a movie. So I, I was like, well, yeah, we're going to all watch it. And we'll probably all be like, yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And, yeah, then, okay. we'll, and then we'll keep it all moving. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, n- I have nothing against Knives Out whatsoever. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's an absolute delight. It's one of the most delightful movies of the year. And the fact that it is neither a remake nor a sequel nor an adaptation <laughs> of any kind. It's an actual original, even though obviously it very heavily is influenced by the, you know, heritage of, of, of mystery murder whodunits. It has so much fun with those um, with those cliches and with those forms that we're also familiar with. Absolute treat. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I was I was a little bit puzzled. I was trying to figure out what the angle was, but this makes sense. There isn't really much to say about it except you have to go see it. It's clever. Right. It's funny. Uh, the acting and the casting is sublime. Um, it's an amazing. It's it's beautiful. It's fun to watch. Um, All star. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 hard to pick a favorite performance because everybody is so delicious. Uh, I, I Ooh, do, who would you? Uh, I mean, I, I I am partial to Tony Collette's performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. Just the just the little choice that she makes about her like little like minor facial reactions to things. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, even like when she like goes upstairs to like investigate the noise yeah. and then she's like, I was just hi <laughs> i'm just checking on this like she's just it's just yeah i think she's great but i mean everybody is great and this is a this is a a, a star making performance for anna de Armas. absolutely terrific i i don't even want to describe anything about the movie mm-hmm. you're like shut up <laughs> please stop <laughs> um i'm gonna go i know this is gonna sound cheap but i'm gonna go daniel craig Oh, sure. I mean, he is great with that foghorn leghorn accent, <laughs> which I mean, I was thinking when I was watching the movie, this is a foghorn leghorn accent. And then later in the movie, somebody calls it that. And I was yes. like, OK, fine. So good. take away my little thought that I had. <laughs> um, and Don Johnson. And Don Johnson. Don Johnson's fantastic. 
uh you know it's yeah and it's and it's a movie that is it's also even though it's just a purely good time that is like can't fail Mm -hmm. um it still has sort of like sneaky subversive commentary absolutely on you know on sort of you know white wealth generational inherited wealth um you know how like you know whether whether conservative or liberal if you're a wealthy white person you're probably part of the problem (laughs) (laughs) uh it's 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 remarkable um and and you know ryan johnson is the writer director Mm -hmm. and this is this is definitely him getting back on track with the kinds of movies that he had made prior to making the last jedi Mm -hmm. um you know going back to his sort of big breakthrough which was the high school film noir brick which has Mm -hmm. a gordon levitt and then kind of leveled up to Looper, also with JGL and Bruce Willis. So Last Jedi is really kind of the anomaly in his filmography. Knives Out is definitely him getting back to like what he had done previously, what he made his name on, and what I hope to keep seeing from him because he's mm. a very clever filmmaker. Absolutely. I would say of all the movies that we review today, this would be my um, pick of the month. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, it would be a shame not to see it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, and obviously it's doing fine. You guys don't need us to tell you to see it, but we'll tell you anyway. <laughs> We're fans of Knives Out. Definitely a binge it for me. Movie number three, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So this would be, is this an, ba- so it's based on true events. It's an adaptation of, uh, it's loosely inspired by a real article that was written for Esquire magazine that was a profile of Mr. Rogers. So, and it sort of, it, it lightly fictionalizes certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so in the late 90s, there was a, a journalist for Esquire who was assigned a profile to write of Mr. Rogers. And so he flew from New York to Pittsburgh to kind of like let, get to the bottom of it, even though the editor was like, this is a puff piece, just write the puff piece and, be, and move on. But he was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to crack the code on this guy and figure out what the fuck is really going on and what's fucked up about you. Where's the scandal? Where's the controversy? And then, of course, is finds out that like there's kind of not one right. and um, enters this kind of very tentative, reluctant sort of mentor-mentee relationship with Mr. Rogers. And... Um, you know, and it's it's the kind of thing where I was so nervous going into it as like, oh man, what if this like tips overboard into like Schmaltzville? Mm. Um, because I love Mario Heller's first two films, Diary of a Teenage Girl and Can You Ever Forgive Me, so much. This is her first time doing a big studio movie. This movie had like wide release, it was released by Sony. It has a big star in Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And uh so I was I was nervous, but I I I'm a fan. Yeah. Did you like it? Um yeah. I I liked it. Um, I I saw the documentary immediately yeah. following it. Right. I have yes. been avoiding it uh, because, it, you know, Mr. Rogers, it just holds such a very tender spot for me um, that I knew it was going to be opening a floodgate of emotions that I wanted to be very careful about when and where that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure I was in the right uh, space for it. But um, so once I was going in with the one, I was going to follow up with the other. And I know it's not like an either or situation. Um, I did enjoy the documentary much more. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that what what this movie does well is show you that the lessons of Mr. Rogers are applicable throughout your life, and mm. that everyone can use some Mr. Rogers. Not it's he's not just for children, right? Um, there's so much you know footage of Mr. Rogers. There's the documentary. There's the show that you could still watch. I wasn't sure that there was like a need for you know someone to represent him in Tom Hanks. Right. I think he did it well, um, but it still feels like you could never be him. So trying seemed I don't know. Right. Well, I, I think if anybody was up to the task, it was him. I can't think of anybody else who I would like to have seen cast in the role. 
just off the top of my head. Tony Collette, obviously. <laughs> sure. Aside from Tony Collette, obviously. <laughs> or Kate Blanchett. Right. Oh yeah, of course. Um that would have been the 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 go to. The two two first thought. They were like two first thought. <laughs> no. Push harder. Tom Hanks, great. Um I can't think of a situation where you could put, you know, a documentary next to a narrative and be just like, oh, the narrative was better. Like it's mm. almost you're almost always gonna walk away from the documentary being like, well, that was better. Sure. You know, if only because it's like, well, it's just like the unvarnished truth. And the documentary the documentary is almost like a controlled substance because <laughs> it gives you <laughs> such like I mean, the feels. All the feels. Like, you know, it just it lets you mainline Mr. Rogers and his kindness and his goodness and his decency and his empathy and just his light, his life force. Cause it, it just gives you that like mm-hmm. nonstop. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's uh, directed by Morgan Neville and just, you know, it, it gives it to you at regular intervals throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Like you're on a morphine course or something. Um, and you're by the end, you're just like, especially now more than ever, we're just like, like this was one of the great, you know, sort of spiritual teachers of of the last of however long. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then the movie sort of by I mean I think the movie is very smart to not. It's written by two of the writers who worked on Transparent for a long time, and um, and I think it very smartly finds a way into the story that's not just a Mister Rogers biopic. Right, right. Um, right. you know, he's a supporting character in the movie, and I think that that what you said was very astute. That it is. It is this idea that Mr. Rogers' teachings aren't just for children. Mm. Um, and, you know, it finds a way and it takes us to this, you know, this this unlikeliest of character, this surly jaded journalist played by Matthew Reese. Um, and, you know, it shows him so sort of gradually being broken down. And I think that the movie manages to tell you that story, which on its surface could seem condescending. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it sh- but it just takes you into those small moments of those conversations with Mr. Rogers that this journalist has and they are just truthful and they're honest and they're real and um so for me it didn't really veer into schmaltz or sentimentality i think it was honest i think it was truthful i think it was very character driven dialogue driven performances were great um and um you know even though like by the end in particular it maybe starts to feel ever so slightly more close to to schmaltz uh but I don't know. I thought it was a touching story. I mean, uh, it inspired me to reach out to people in my life. It didn't go great, but I tried anyway. And, Good for you. Uh, you know, and it's, yeah, I think it's it's a really beautiful film. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say about it. I mean, there's, there's, there's no need to limit the amount of Mr. Rogers exposure right. in the world no. right now. We've never needed Mr. Rogers more. No. And, um, and whether you get it from the documentary or from the narrative, Either way, you're going to walk away feeling like you've been enriched and uh, and fortified and lifted up and, and, and in, a, in a genuine earned way, mm-hmm. not not in a fake way. So uh, it's a binge it for me. It's a binge it for me. Also, I do want to say, it, so Mr. Rogers was uh, an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, growing up, that was never a part of the show. Um, I, you, I didn't know that, but I also feel like I knew that without knowing it. It, mm. it seemed obvious, um, again, without him ever speaking about religion right. or God or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also going back to two popes, like these are two, you know, pretty religious movies in that like, I mean, obviously two popes is a lot more about the institution of the Catholic Church, but a lot right. of their conversations are about like God and its place in your life and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, God's idea of forgiveness. And um, so if you are like, you know, um, uh, allergic to 
to uh, religious uh, I don't know, preaching or, or ideas. Both of these movies um, are really a good antidote for that. I think that these both pull out kind of the best parts of of um, of religion and mm. and and give it to you in a way that is, again, there are a few times it was needed more than now. There, I guess, there have been a lot, but yeah. I mean, I think that you know, looking at Mister Rogers in either the doc or the narrative is just the ultimate example of I think the way that Christianity is meant to be lived where it is really you can see just in his love and in like in like the love and the light that shine out of him he's not didactic he doesn't say because jesus said Mm -hmm. like he is not hitting people over the head with it he is just showing it as an example in the way he lives his life without calling attention to it explicitly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and not denying it people are asking he talks about it but just watching the way that he just embodies i think the true values of christianity i think that it's it's yeah, it's something he's always somebody to go back to and to study. And uh, but no, I, I agree with you. Star Wars. <laughs> Speaking of religious parables, the rise of the Skywalker. <laughs> I'm supposed to go see this on Christmas Day. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, who are you gonna go see it with? Um, Soul. Does she care? Uh, is she a Star Wars is fan? She go- oh, uh, she. I think she's seen all of them. I, th- okay. I think she cares. Right. Yeah, I mean, I. I was, I was surprised. I, I didn't know. I didn't think you were a fan, so I was surprised to hear you with that plan. I guess um, you've seen everything else because we had. I have seen it. everything. Else. Right. Everyone else is going to see Little Women. You already saw it. You're like, oh, um, well, Star Wars, it is. Also, she really wants to see Cats, and I'm trying to put that off as far as long as possible. Uh, Although, man, <laughs> this week, what have I been living for? Are the reviews of Cats? The best one was the one that I saw that was like, it starts off with like, admittedly, I'm not a, a cat person, and I at the end of this movie, I'm not sure I'm a movie person either. <laughs> <laughs> A plus. Oh, I a mean, plus. I give thanks to the creators of Cats for giving us this gift at the end of the year. Something just, just a nice pile on we can all participate in. Mm, have you seen it? I still haven't, guys. I'm sorry. We can't review it this episode. Um, I promise that I will have seen it by our next one. Possibly even by like a week from today, we're going to be taping our best of the year episode. And um, so hopefully I'm going to see it before then. So I might have to be, <laughs> I might be able to weigh in on it for our end of the year episode. Does it come out on Christmas? Um, I think it's out now. I think it yeah, came out this so, weekend. Right. Oh yeah, I think it's out now. I don't want to see it so bad. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. So Star Wars. Um. So yeah, Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. We're here, guys. We're at the end of the Skywalker saga. Forty years later, and uh, and I, I and sadly, I feel like it kind of ends a bit more with a whimper than with a bang. How many uh, years later? Forty. Because the first, the first Star Wars, even though it started with, you know, episodes four, episode four was the first Actually, Star Wars movie. Actually, never mind. Movie. Just stop. Go on. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't follow. Go on. Uh, you're like, tell it to me in cats. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's the jellical? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So I saw Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. I got to see a screening of it a few days before it came out with my mom while my mom was visiting. And um, and she had not seen any of the movies. And I think she said maybe she saw the first two way back when. And so I was like, what'd you think? And she was like, unique. And that was the end of her review. So okay. that's mom's review of it. Um, and I, as you all may or may not remember from the last couple movies of these that have come out, because this whole new trilogy has come out while we've been doing this show. We've, we've reviewed all of them on the show. And um, and this this one is my least favorite of the new trilogy. Mm. I really 
was excited when I saw that J.J. Abrams was brought back in to do this one because he did Force Awakens. And that was the one that suddenly made me think, wait, am I a Star Wars fan? Because I loved that movie so much. Was that the first one? Yeah. Of the new? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was Last Jedi, which was Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in that one lost me I think just because I was I was like okay I'm not enough of a fan to like this and that movie has been famously polarizing amongst the entire fan base and and the debates about it were renewed yet again by this newest movie coming out mm-hmm. and Ryan Johnson's out there on Twitter defending himself um, as he should and uh, Go see Knives Out <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh, so yeah now there's this one and it seems like the dominant narrative about this is that it's sort of like fan service run amok and gone awry because the sort of gatekeepers of the Star Wars brand, namely Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, you know, they have been in this sort of like tug of war um, ever since they relaunched this, this final trilogy with like with the fan base and trying to give the fans what they want while also trying to be true to, you know, the characters and the story and, um, you know, in Force Awakens seemed to find this perfect middle ground where it was doing all the above. Last Jedi, they let Ryan Johnson take a chance and then a lot of fan base exploded as a result. Mm. And so then this feels like very much an overcourse correction from that, where it went from the most kind of adventurous, risky, dark uh, story in the Star Wars uh, sequence to like just the softest, easiest, lamest, most predictable. Baby Yoda. <laughs> baby Yoda. If only there's Baby Yoda in there. No such luck. So, um, but you still have BB-8. BB-8's still there. So, <laughs> you're not a BB-8 fan? Uh. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it, honestly, the thing that surprised me the most about this was how boring it was. Like, it was slow. And granted... My mother did get to share the experience of having to watch a movie next to Ingu. Oh! Uh, <laughs> because when I walked into the theater and sat down with mom, um, Ingu was waving at me from a few rows back. And then I'm just like, sitting there talking to my mom. And then suddenly she's just at my side. And she's like, I'm going to sit here. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, um, and so then my, my mom didn't get to, you know, I was between them. So it was me mm. who had, you know, Ingu like hissing poison into his ears the entire time. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't get to do that, but she was close. <laughs> she was nearby <laughs> while it was happening to me. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I was thinking, I'm like, okay, this is, this movie is going to be like a powder keg. This movie is 40 years in the making, the biggest movies of all time. It's all been leading to this. This is going to be every second. This movie is just going to be exploding with energy and action and consequence. And it was not. It really wasn't. Like, it's such a lame conclusion after all these movies that this is what it's led to. And it also, it kind of, the stakes are kind of rendered obsolete in a way. It's one of those movies where, like, it will kind of kill someone off and then bring them back. Um, and you're like, what are we even doing here? Like, this feels like there's no stakes. And, um, and it's just everything just predictably hits all the cues you think it's going to hit and ends more or less exactly the way you're probably thinking it's going to end. And, um, you know, it's just kind of, it's a letdown. And then there, there has been this whole conversation as well about like the same sex kiss. And, um, cause at the end of the movie, it was so JJ Abrams had, had teased that, because I think there's there's a lot of um, fans that are ship that were shipping a, a, a relationship, romantic relationship between Finn and Poe, mm-hmm. the Oscar Isaac and John Boyega characters, 
and I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm among those shippers and I was like, and, but then JJ Abrams was doing an interview and he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, not, not that, but you know, there is going to be, there is a, a moment of, there is a queer moment in this, in this movie. And, um, you know, not just Carrie Fisher and her like hologram, uh, <laughs> there's something more queer than that. And, um, and then it wound up being the, at the very end of the movie, there's like everyone celebrating and they show uh, a female character who has kind of been a non-character like but just a total sort of background minor character they see her they we, we see her kiss another woman in like a passionate way um for like 1.5 seconds this other woman is like purely an extra and uh wasn't warned and uh, <laughs> looks very bewildered um and that's that and it's sort of the same thing as with the um, the live action Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. where there was like that split second of um, you know of what's his face of of the of Gaston's Josh henchman Gad. Josh Gad, um, you know, dancing for a split second with another with an, an extra with a with a background dancer, um, and it's just like this ongoing kind of like like is this that's that's all you're gonna that's it you know like for the, when it happened with Beauty and the Beast I was like more moved. Um, but now it's like okay, well, it's a few years later, and mm, this is still and it's like an adult movie. Yeah, and this is still like the best you can do. Matters. At least, I mean, Josh Gad at least was a major character. Yeah. Um, you know, like in this, it's a truly super minor character, and so it just feels like this is this is such bizarre. Like this is like it just like, it's like in, in this it's like you're imagining this negotiation where they're like, okay, we have to give something. It's like the most. It's like such a breadcrumb. It's like such like just like just a crumb. Like here's a crumb. Um, that's it. You know, we're not gonna we're not going to you know destroy our our IP by having Finn and Poe make out. Mm. So we're going to just give you this background character who kisses a lady, and there, queer representation done. Mm. So it just feels like a cop out. That's disappointing. And uh, so, and the fact that J.J. Abrams was like touting it in an interview, it's like okay, yeah, like don't fucking pat yourself on the back for that. That's not enough to pat yourself on the back for. Um. So. Yeah, it's meh. You really feel the strain of their of the the extent to which they had to rewrite after Carrie Fisher died, mm. um, because you know I think there's there's the general consensus is that they had been planning to really make Leia like this was going to be Leia's movie, like the whole movie was going to be built around oh. Leia, um, because she was the only one left. Um, because Han Solo died in Force Awakens and Luke died slash vanished in Last Jedi. So it was going to be all about like General Leia's ascendance. Oh, that's unfortunate. And uh, and instead we have like just these sort of random clips of her that they had from the previous movies, and you can feel them. There's at least one scene between Leia and Ray where you can feel them reverse engineering Ray's dialogue to make sense with whatever footage they have Carrie Fisher saying whatever. Um, and it's like, I appreciate them trying to just wring the absolute most out of Leia and out of sure. the footage of Carrie Fisher they have. And it, of course, was my favorite part of the movie um, because Carrie Fisher forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just feels like, okay, this is this is what we were all left with. This is the best they could do um, after she died. And so it's it's a bummer. And uh, as a movie, it's just kind of a shrug. I feel like it's, it's not the kind of movie that's going to convert new fans the way Force Awakens did. It's just, it's for fans only. And, um, and it seems like fans are pretty mixed on it too. So it feels just kind of like a pretty, yeah, lame, limp conclusion to the biggest, you know, movie franchise of all time. Well, Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> In 3D. It's a consume. <sighs> okay, great. 
<laughs> so those were our capsules. Yes. How far are we into the show? Uh, I think it's not too bad. Oh, we good. did four movies in 30 minutes. Oh, that's good. That's not too bad. What is that? Um, seven yeah, minutes? Yeah, this is 14 minutes each? Is that a half hour? Yeah. <laughs> so now we get into the uh, the next four and a half hours, which we'll be talking about Little Women. Following the lives of four sisters, Amy, Joe, Beth, and Meg, as they come of age in America in the aftermath of the Civil War. Though all very different from each other, the March sisters stand by each other through difficult and changing times. Shut up, Meg. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I only do that when I hear, um, what's her name's voice? Um... Mila Kunis. Yes, anytime. She used to do that like whiskey commercial. Oh, yeah. And every time I just couldn't, I can't help myself. If I only, always say, if only they cast Meg. her as Meg in oh, this. That would be, I would die. I would die. Um, I mean, they'd have to figure out how to make her look 13. <laughs> no, isn't Meg, isn't oh. that Emma Watson? She's the oldest one. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> get her in there. I have at least one American in the cast. Have you been, have you seen this one? Did you see this one at TIFF? No, no, they skipped film festivals for this one because I think they were like, okay, this is like a major enough movie that they didn't need to like build buzz through festival mm. season. Greta Gerwig is now established and Little Women is a well, you know, a well-known enough IP that they're kind of like, well, let's just hit the major theatrical release and call it a day. And when you say IP, you're saying intellectual property? Intellectual property, okay. yeah. Just for, you know. Sure. Uh, me. <laughs> Tell me about, so you're kind you're Comparing this to the Winona Ryder version? Yes. I've never seen the uh, the earlier version. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the There was a Catherine Hepburn one, mm-hmm. I believe. Was there a Catherine Hepburn one and Elizabeth Taylor one? Ooh, Are those separate know. ones? There might be. I think there was like maybe one in the 30s with, with Kate Hepburn and one in the 40s with Liz Taylor. This is information that's squarely in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Why are you asking me? I don't know. You're like, tell it to me in old Hollywood. <laughs> Let me do a quick thing. You go ahead and get started while and I do then, some research. And then the book? I've, I don't think I've ever read the book. Okay. Have you? I feel like I must have a long time ago. I have not seen the movie version from the 90s. And so I came into this kind of fresh. Yes, there are two. There is one from 33 with Kate Hepburn. I call her Kate because we're friends. And one from 49 with Liz Taylor, also my friend. And that one was directed by my great-grandfather, Mervyn Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and June Allison was in that. Oh, mm. wow. And Janet Lee. You haven't seen any of these? No, um, just the, and the even the 94 one I actually didn't see until fairly recently. I, I watched it with Scott maybe like three years ago around Christmas time. And um, because it, when it came out, I was just, I it, it came out, in, yeah, when I was like 12. And I was like very much into my like indie movie pretension. And I was just like, oh, I don't need to see some feel good Christmas movie. So I wow. did. So I did not watch it. And there wasn't I, like the other part of you that's like an all female movie. You would think so. And I was also, of course, a Winona Ryder stan. Sure. And uh, and a Claire Dane stan, but uh, and a Kirsten Dunst stan. So you would think between right? the three of them. No, I I almost saw that movie this week to yeah. kind of help with this review. But I figured that you had seen it. Yeah. Um, and would speak to that. And yeah. oh, have, I, have you not seen it? No. Oh, should I see it? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. I think that. I, I would say that I would I still think that one might be better than the this one, but I need to see this one again. I need, I would need to see this one a second time. But I just felt like 
watching this Greta Gerwig version, I was a bit less emotionally involved than I was watching the 94 version. Because you're watching a bunch of adult women play teenagers? No. Um, there was something about like Greta Gerwig just brings that just a certain sense of like hipster detachment mm. to the proceedings, where just for me, it kind of held the characters a bit more at arm's length. And also, I dare say, um, I don't know that Saoirse Ronan really nailed the leading lady role on this one the way that she has done in previous movies. Like Winona Ryder in the 94, she was at the peak of her glory years. Like that was, she got her first Oscar nomination. Uh, no, second. She had, The year before, she was nominated for supporting for Age of Innocence. And then, mm. then she was nominated for lead for Little Women. Those were her two nominations she's had. And so the, she was, it was peak Winona Ryder. She is, she gives such like a, a huge, warm, big heart performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. She's, she really provides a much better emotional anchor. Whereas I found Saoirse Ronan just a bit more remote in this, mm. like not quite as emotionally engaging. I think that, you know, that's why like in, in Lady Bird, I think that she's mm. better, she's better playing when she's like an only child <laughs> or that kind of thing <laughs> um, than, uh, than trying to, you know, patch herself off as like, oh yes, I am one of, of a whole patch full of sisters and we just have fun uh Mm -hmm. i didn't quite yeah i didn't quite emotionally connect with her as much in this one and i think there's i think there's a reason that she's kind of quickly fallen out of the best actress conversation because this just it's just not it just doesn't quite break through in that in that way the way that winona did so i feel like in you know in the 94 one was also uh female written and directed uh Mm -hmm. so so this 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 new one is not a breakthrough in that regard it's sort of continuing in the tradition of the of the last one but uh not like my great granddad Mervin. <laughs> he was the last he was the last patriarch to direct a little women movie. And that's what runs in my veins. Um I I think that I I couldn't find an emotional connection to this movie anywhere. Yeah. Um you know, dusted looked under the rug, um looked in the chimney, couldn't find a thing to connect to. <laughs> you didn't find teacup in there. You're like, get out of there. Always hide in the chimney at Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this movie was, was, was hard for me. Um, it, it, it was a kind of a bore. Um, it was kind of annoying. Um, I didn't connect and I felt like it was unnecessary. Hmm. I feel like the very, you know, bold, uh, uh, takeaway from this movie about, uh, equality mm-hmm. is, is just, it's. It was bold in 1880. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it's not that it doesn't need to be said, but to be said in exactly the same way fall, falls so strangely right now. Because problems are so different. There, there's no, I don't know. It's not that I wanted this like necessarily like a modern version of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it now knowing that there are two more versions of this that, I, that exist, I right. can't imagine. I don't know what this brought to the table except... Right. Seeing Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> there are as many little women's as there are stars borns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. What did you, did you feel like there was a purpose for this movie? Yeah. I mean, I think that I would agree with you that I felt like Greta Gerwig did not add enough modernity to really make it feel necessary. Um, what she does is she changes the timeline. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas traditionally, like in the book and the previous films, it's told chronologically. Whereas in her adaptation, it's it's a flashback. Let me stop you right there. 
I found that incredibly confusing. Right, because they don't look very different. But <laughs> at all, until the haircutting point. <laughs> right. I could not tell at all what, what was going on. Yeah, so that that's a little confusing. It also is confusing in the sense that they've broken from tradition in the casting of the character Amy, uh, who in, for instance, in the 94 version was played as a, um, as a 13-year-old by Kirsten Dunst, then played as an adult by, I believe, Trini Alvarado. There's a name you don't hear very much anymore. Uh, and but in this, they have Florence Pugh from Midsummer <laughs> playing <laughs> playing the character at both ages, um, despite having the voice of Kathleen Turner. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever wonder what it would be like to watch <laughs> Kathleen Turner clip on a pair of bangs and be like. But Joe, where's Lori? Um, <laughs> you'll find out when you watch this movie. That was really hard. And uh, and 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 so and that's and that is part of what in you know in the '94 version made it easier to have these this sense of time because you had a different actor uh, playing that character for the child childhood portion versus the adult portion, and it also and having her be played by the same actress almost makes it weirder when she ends up with mm -hmm. you know with Lori or no is it no, that makes yeah with Lori yeah mm -hmm. um you know it's like oh well like you know but remember when she was just 13 though even though she had Kathleen Turner's voice <laughs> <laughs> it also made it a lot harder to you know she's also clearly the most annoying character right she's like <laughs> right. you catch her at that 13 year old you know when everyone is super annoying right um but it's a lot harder to find that endearing when she's 20 something year old woman yeah yeah and she you know Florence Pugh got a huge sort of rush of awards momentum when this first was screened and I think she has like one sort of big monologue scene that she does in like an art studio that I was like okay well yeah like she's and Florence Pugh is a great actor it's not her fault um that, no, they, that, they, that, they, that they've cast her um in this in this kind of thankless job of playing the same character at 13 and 20 um but uh yeah it just doesn't fully work i mean i will say i feel like you know we're being we're being pretty hard on this movie i did still enjoy like i i did love the the chemistry that the four young actresses had together generally i feel like eliza scanlon who plays beth doesn't really doesn't really <laughs> register quite as much <laughs> um, what a what a specter that, that was <laughs> She is from the very from from frame one. You're like, who's the ghost? <laughs> so she's been dead the whole time. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand this timeline at all. Right, um, rather than the usual way of just like having her cough, we're like, oh, that character's gonna die. <laughs> they just have her literally look like death from the from the first time. frame. Yeah, that it really did confuse me on the timeline. <laughs> like, yeah, like, who's the Victorian ghost? <laughs> Florence Pugh's character is also the to to me the the most. Um, the kind of the main character right because mm -hmm. you have like you know joe kind of saying all the things and right. but she's the one who's, who's living the experience she's the one through all through all of this is it ends up being how she lives her life is decided by the circumstance of the day mm -hmm. and and not being able to empathize with her it makes it really it makes it it kind of loses the, that whole point interesting because that monologue is so clutch yeah it's great I wonder if they had now I'm thinking about casting. I wonder if they had changed the casting and had Emma Watson play Joe and had Sersha play Meg. Yes. Shut up, Meg. <laughs> I wonder if that would have because I just feel like Emma Watson has that energy that that was that's needed for the character of Joe mm -hmm. to really land. Mm -hmm. Um and I get that like part of Greta Gerwig's idea is to 
really look harder at the story of Louisa May Alcott herself going and selling this book and getting published and like the you know the sort of like this 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 I, this rumor that she was forced to add this like romantic storyline to it mm-hmm. um, to appease a male publisher. Um, so it felt like, but even that feels like a not fully shaped idea in this. Mm-hmm. Like she kind of like has like, you know, she writes these, this dialogue for Tracy Letts to say where he sounds like a dummy <laughs> and, um, you get to like watch Saoirse look exasperated, um, during these meetings. So I get that she wanted to take Joe in that more sort of like bookish, smart, sardonic direction. But I just feel like they should have switched that casting. I feel like Emma Watson would have been able to connect more emotionally with the audience mm. in the role of Joe than Sersha does. And I think Sersha is one of the best actresses in the world, truly. But I just feel like this was, I think she's a miscast. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, there's also a, a writing montage scene, <laughs> a, hand, a handwriting montage scene, which is, Watch uh, out. you know, I feel like the, the saddest thing about this movie to me is that there are so many frames where you could make one of those uh, sex in the city memes. But but there's not a good thing that, you know, that you can't be like, and it turns out at the end, I don't know, there's nothing to say. Like, they were all little women. I don't know. You can't, there's not a good joke in it. If someone has seen that meme, if you've seen one, please send it to me because I'm dying for it. Yeah, it's, it's, well, uh, yeah. I mean, there's, and there's, it's, it's a well cast, you know, Timothy Chalamet is there looking all like a little, like a little, just wearing his little frock, his little, his little, like, like a little dandy, just mm-hmm. skanking on the porch. Uh, you know we've Laura we've Laura Dern as Marmy. Okay, let's talk uh, about the casting of the parents. Okay, and also I will say, speaking of Laura Dern, there is that one scene where she's talking about like the war that feels very modern, uh, where she's talking about like being ashamed of the country or whatever, or mm-hmm. that felt very like I don't think that scene's usually always played that way. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a bit more on the nose, mm-hmm. um, and, and current than 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 previously. But go on, casting. Um, we have Laura Dern and Chris Cooper playing the parents. Chris Cooper? Chris Cooper plays the dad. Or no, I'm sorry, not Chris Cooper, Bob yeah. Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Yes. What? <laughs> that was a surprise. That was incredibly disruptive. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I feel like, you know, the 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 Name a, name a less iconic duo. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny watching them embrace. <laughs> yeah, because you know you, you're waiting for Father to come home this whole time, and who's it going to be? And it's Bob Odenkirk. It's so I funny. In my mind, I've already recast it to Chris Cooper. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> and then we have Meryl Streep, uh, right, as Aunt 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 May or whatever mm-hmm. Aunt March. What is it? I don't know. Aunt May. Um, is that a Beverly Hillbillies character? Yes. Uh, so and she's there to you know with a few withering one-liners she's basically playing maggie smith mm-hmm, right, meryl mm-hmm. streep is maggie smith as aunt march or whatever little women yeah <laughs> so she's yeah to quote that old snl downton abbey sketch she's the chicken lady <laughs> <laughs> so there's that i'm send it backing this one woof wow um, I am not. I am leaning more. For me, it's sort of like a consume plus. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, for all those issues I have with it, and I do think it's, I don't think that Greta Gerwig did enough to make it feel like it was necessary. But, I mean, given how many times, like, Spider-Man has been rebooted since, <laughs> since the last of the women came out, <laughs> I don't want to be, like, you know, disproportionately hard on this. But um, I, I, but I, I can't also, I can't deny that I was a, I was a little let down when I watched it. I think I, I had high hopes because Lady Bird is like one of my favorite movies of all time. 
And uh, and I was like, oh, if anyone can make Little Women really fucking badass, it's Greta Gerwig. But by the end, honestly, it, to me, it just it was defeated by how sort of old fashioned a lot of it still is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's the just, end. Yeah, the oh. ending especially. So yeah, I yeah. That's... It's funny that you use Spider Man as a, the point of comparison because Spider Man into the Spider Verse, right, is what this should have been. Right, into the women verse, <laughs> <laughs> and it was not. No. Um, so you're going consume plus. Yeah, um, it's rated PG for thematic elements, ritualistic violence, and brief. <laughs> <laughs> you got fell for you it. <laughs> is that from is that from Midsummer? <laughs> <laughs> that Florence Pugh you can't, you can't take her anywhere every time she looks yeah, have, into the mid distance uh, someone's the, falling off a half, cliff half the characters get sewn into a bear <laughs> it was the style of the time <laughs> I had to stay warm back then oh my god you're an asshole I love you Merry Christmas to me Merry Christmas movie number two is Bombshell a revealing look inside the most powerful and controversial media empire of all time and the explosive story of the women who brought down the infamous man who created it. Much anticipated um, in this room. Yeah. <laughs> One of the best trailers I've seen in a long time. And to know that that was a scene from the movie mm-hmm. um, was, was delightful. Although with the the addition of Billie Eilish, which I believe is not played over that scene in the movie. No, it, they use Seven Rings, I think, right? <laughs> Did they? Do they? Did they? In the in the trailer? Oh, no, I think the trailer is bad guy. Oh, yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Seven Rings would have been hilarious. <laughs> 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 just like showing, like Megan Kelly sashaying around. It's like, gee, thanks, just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. You yeah. know what? I hear it now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just should I just okay boomer myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that Billy Grande. Sure is great. <laughs> um, the first thing I think we've said it. Everyone has said it. Um, wow. Does do they make Shalise Theron? Look like Megan Kelly. It is one of the craziest things I have ever seen. Yeah. It is somehow more shocking than her transformation into Eileen Warnos and Monster. Oh, absolutely. Even though Megan Kelly looks much more like Charlize Theron than Eileen Warnos did. So it feels like less of a distance to get from Charlize to Megan, and yet somehow it is it is more shocking. Mm. Um, I, unfortunately, I just heard a review of this movie yesterday, uh, which I usually try to avoid because it I, that's all I can think about. Right. It's um, your process. Yeah, of course. Um, but the one thing that was said in this review was that similarity, that, you know, impressive makeup, mm-hmm. her voice, the way she carries herself, only makes Nicole Kidman's portrayal of Gretchen Carlson look all the more strange. It's true. It's true. Um, this is not Nicole Kidman's movie. No. Um, although I don't even know if I can blame her because having seen both Bombshell and The Loudest Voice, which was the mm. Showtime miniseries that was also about the subject, but more specifically, it was it was kind of more about Roger Ailes. He was the protagonist and it played by Russell Crowe in like one of the most despicable performances you'll ever see. Is it good? Um, I mean, it's 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 a lot more sensationalistic than this. It's a lot more, it doesn't have like the more like, this doesn't have the light comedic touch this one has mm-hmm. um, where it feels like it's more of a farce. Mm. Um, the, the Russell Crowe one is like just vile. Mm. Um, you know, Russell Crowe plays him as just like, like a basically like a pugilistic terrorist rapist. 
Mm. Whereas John Lithgow plays him as like sad grandpa who sometimes gets mad and creepy. Yeah, okay. And in, in The Loudest Voice, Gretchen Carlson was played by Naomi Watts, who another world-class actress mm-hmm. and Nicole Kidman's best friend. And uh, and yet, so despite having, I've now seen her story told twice by two of the best actors in the world, and neither of them makes Gretchen Carlson even remotely compelling as a character. Really? It's so bizarre. Like, you would think, I don't know if it's just because Gretchen Carlson is like, if she's just too... I don't know. She's just not interesting. Like she obviously did a very important thing by taking, by helping take down Roger Ailes. Um, and you know, there's so much there in terms of her backstory. I think she's like Stanford educated, mm-hmm. but also a beauty queen. And, yeah. you know, and then was, you know, had this very conflicted time at Fox for all these years as like the woman on Fox and friends. And then and, she also continued after this to be to continue to push towards legislative changes about, you know, being right. able to sign away your rights and employment yeah. and things like that. Like she really And I don't know if they're just not casting maybe like this would have been a great role for like Reese Witherspoon to play or something. Mm-hmm. Like to have somebody who has that more of a natural, sort of like plucky all American girl kind of vibe. They're just they keep um, pulling Aussies. They keep casting Aussies. And enough already. <laughs> uh, <and this laughs> don't movie, alienate t- our fan base. I mean, literally, all three leads in this movie are <laughs> we have two Aussies and a South African. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's a where are the American actor jobs these days? No <laughs> none of little women, not Queen and Slim, no one in Bombshell. <laughs> all played by non American actors. It's a crisis. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, this is the, the Gretchen Carlson is 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 once again given short shrift. Mm. Um, there, the entirely fictitious character played by Margot Robbie is more compelling. Um, oh, absolutely. Than Gretchen Carlson, like Megan Kelly's storyline and um, and God, what was Meg- Margot Robbie's name in this? It was something doofy, like Candy or Katie or like it was like oh, K- K- Kayla, 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 is, yeah, yeah, Kayla. I'm like some basic bitch name, right? <laughs> yeah, Kayla. So yeah, so Kayla and Megan are given very juicy storylines to play in this movie, and Gretchen Carlson just Nicole Kidman just has to like show up without makeup on. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, uh, again, the the review I just heard of it, and they were like, yeah, and Gretchen Carlson just plays a whole movie on the phone in the kitchen in a light sweater. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does. She does good kitchen work. Uh, Las Culturistas, says the podcast. Oh, is that what? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On their, their farewell episode, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Bowen, we, Bowen Yang is just making SNL oh my so God. much better these days. He is. I am blown away by how much he has just become like an integral member of the cast in such a short oh, time. Yeah. Like he's like in every sketch now. Shablap is on <laughs> every work chat I'm on. Oh my God. Scott has been playing it all day long. <laughs> Literally, he, right before you got here, he made me watch it again. <laughs> and then while we were sitting here talking, I heard him watching it again in the back. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, so good. <laughs> Merry Christmas to the children. <laughs> I mean, amazing. Anyway. I don't like that for you. <laughs> Wait, what's the quote like? Girl, what the girl say, girl? <laughs> I don't like that for you. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, and, and back to bombshell. And back to this. Um. So yeah. So bombshell. Christian Carlson's not the most interesting part. That once again is blah. Um. But you know, this these are great performances from Charlize and mm-hmm. from Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. Um. So the thing that's you know problematic about this movie is that it's it's really not interested in challenging Fox News writ large. Like that's the thing the last voice does mm. that Bombshell doesn't do at all. 
Like Bombshell gives Kate McKinnon one m- monologue, a great one, mm-hmm. where she introduces Kayla to like the Fox News worldview, which Kayla already knows because she's a conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it writes this fun speech for Kate McKinnon to give anyway, which she knocks out of the park. Oh yeah. Um, but it is it doesn't really challenge what Fox News has done to the country. There's like a scene where Nicole Kidman gets like chastised at a supermarket by an angry mom. Um, for <laughs> the rare angry mom who's anti-Fox News. Um, <laughs> and uh, but aside from that, it's not really interested in like the pillars that Fox News props up. It's just about the culture at Fox News, which is kind of accepts because it's like that's not the story they're telling. They're telling the story of what the culture is like at Fox News and what it took to take down Roger Ailes at Fox News. So and because I, I think that the movie probably harbors delusions that Fox viewers will watch it. Oh, I think that's the case. Well, okay. So you have you have a problem with that, um, the way that it handles Fox News? Mm, I mean, I think it doesn't really... I think it makes mm, compromises uh, in order to tell the story that it wants to tell that aren't really the right choice to make. Like, you know, to position Megyn Kelly as the sort of hero of the story... Uh, so we have, you know, Gretchen is sort of like the moral center of it because she's the first one to come forward. Mm-hmm. And then we have Megan as our hero. And like, for instance, there are those great... Kate McKinnon kind of has all of her best dialogue in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she who she plays a closeted lesbian who works as a producer at Fox News and um, and closeted Hillary fan. And, uh, and she has a line where she's like, well, I took this job at Fox because it was all I could get at the time. And now I'm stuck here because once you work at Fox, no one else will hire you. And for instance, that played out in real life with Megyn Kelly, because Mm. after she left Fox News, she tried breaking into mainstream media and had her talk show on NBC or whatever, and it tanked Mm -hmm. because people wouldn't, they couldn't see past what she had done when she was on Fox News. And, you know, Fox News breeds so much hatred and distrust of the mainstream media for their viewers, they were not going to follow her there. Plus, they also now viewed her as a traitor against Trump. And so they viewed her as having like sold out, uh, sold out the, her conservative base, sold out Trump, trying to go mainstream. The mainstream is like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. We want nothing to do with you. Um, and so I feel like that's almost more interesting. But instead, it just tells this little microcosm of a story about how they took down the one leader of Fox News. Granted, the guy who put on the map, but all the things that Fox News does, though, continue. Like the vision that Roger Ailes had for Fox News wasn't changed in the slightest by them taking him out. It's almost like, you know, when they take out like the, whoever the leader of ISIS is in the moment, like another <laughs> one just comes back up. You know, it's like you cut the snake head, another one grows in its place. So I feel like it's almost a hollow victory. Like, yeah, obviously it's great that Roger Ailes was taken out. And hopefully the legacy of, of you know, of sexual harassment that was that he took with him throughout his time at Fox. I pray to God the people running it now aren't doing that. But it doesn't change big picture. The thing that Fox News is actually villainous for on the international stage. Mm. So I feel like the movie is just incurious about that. The movie is just kind of like, oh yeah, that is what it is. Um, This is not a story about that. This is a story about these women who band together to take down Roger Ailes, one of whom is fictitious. (laughs) I like that though. I... I like that part of the movie that that the way that the movie didn't touch on the bigger problem with Fox News uh, for two reasons. One is that, well, I guess maybe three. One, to to say to your point about the delusions of Fox viewers going to see this. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who, you know, have the AMC movie pass. They're like, (laughs) I'm going to go see what's in the movies this week. Uh Or people, the trailer was very uh, vague, right? Um, It did not have a uh, political bias one way or another. 
it, the movie does work in Kate McKinnon's point of view uh, and those criticisms of Fox News. But I think that I do think that Fox viewers will go see this not knowing. I think they'll people don't always read all you know Variety or all, all of the you know the uh, the write ups about a movie. They just want to go see what's new in the theaters. And I feel like people who watch Fox News are not interested in getting a lot of information uh, before they go and do things right like vote. Um, I would I would just say one thing. I mm-hmm. think you're right. The teaser doesn't have any slant, but the trailer itself does have that Kate McKinnon speech. Oh, about, it does. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. So they see that. I just, I guess what I mean by that is I feel like, you know, true Fox viewers are so distrustful of Hollywood. Mm. Um, And so they're like, oh, Hollywood made a movie about Fox News. Obviously, it's going to have a liberal slant. I'm not going to see it. Mm. That's kind of what I assume they would think. Um, I mean, there's also like the Richard Jewell movie and a lot of like, well, I don't know. Anyway, that was, so we don't know the answer to that one. Right. But, um, but I, I, but I hear your point. I think it's true that yeah, people just show up. People show up to the movies and just see whatever's playing. Mm-hmm. I was right. actually just talked to someone this week who who did that. And oh. I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> huh. That's also, true. it was interesting because he he had said that he bought that movie pass yeah. thing, and he was like, I used to be more you know judicious about what I would go see, but now I have the pass. And he had just seen the Richard Jewell movie. Oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I mean, he liked it, but uh, Funny. I didn't know that that I guess that pass thing works. Yeah. Yeah. It's anyway. Interesting. Um, sponsored by. <laughs> AMC movie pass. Um I I think that this it's all it's almost a a power move to say we're not going to criticize Fox um and have this story because this it's I don't know. I feel like people should have the right to work at Fox News without thinking about sexual harassment without having to deal with sexual harassment not yeah, i think I mean, everyone thinks yeah that, sure. i mean people should be able to work everywhere without having to think about sexual harassment and regardless of kind of what you what you contribute to the greater uh negativity and decline of democracy and freedom and and human the rise of trump. rights and the rise of trump you should still be able to do that without having to 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 face sexual harassment without you know mm-hmm so I I think that it, I think that that worked in this in this movie, and I think that trying to be too critical of Fox News would have detracted from the story, um, and the story on its own is a, is enough without having to get into that um, whole. How would you even? That would be a whole movie of its own, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that the balance was good. There, you know, there was there were lines said, you know, in the Kate McKinnon part, um, so it didn't go completely untouched. Uh, but it wasn't the focus of the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought that worked. Yeah, yeah no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I guess I just feel like it's interesting to to sort of isolate one of the many horrible, evil things that was happening at Fox News and be like, here's the thing. We're going to focus on the takedown of this thing and not talk about all the other horrible things that are also going on at Fox News. Mm. So I guess to me, it's it's a little, it feels, it kind of weakens the impact knowing that like, it feels, it just makes it feel like more of a hollow victory because, you know, everything else horrible and hateful and world destroying about Fox News continued at a pace. Um, it's just that, you know, these, it just, they, they took out the guy who started it. Um, when you say hollow victory, do you mean what happened in real life or the movie? Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good thing that obviously that that happened. I think it was a victory. But I think that the movie ends on a note of triumph when in actuality it didn't ultimately work out well for anybody because now like Megan and Gretchen are kind of like nobodies who can't get work. Mm. Um, you know, and the Kayla is fictitious. We have no, you know, she's an amalgam. Um, but, you know, Megan and Gretchen are in this weird limbo now where nobody wants to work with them. 
and Fox News continues to destroy the country on a daily basis, and Roger Ailes is dead. So it's sort of like, okay. So I feel like I just feel like the way that the movie frames the story leading to this like this triumphant finale, it does it by its refusal to acknowledge how much more I feel like it should be a much more muted moment at mm, the end. Mm. And or like uh, adding like, a, a postscript about what happened. Where, where are they now? Right, exactly. Um, or like, yeah, I saw some review was like saying how it would have been better if like there was an epilogue where Kayla was now like writing a blog about how good it is that children are being kept in cages. Mm. Um, mm. You know, like that would have been like a more accurate kind of finish to mm. the story that this is telling. Instead, it wants to kind of have its cake and eat it too. And I think that's kind of where I get a little frustrated with it. I, I feel like they, they there was that micro moment that kind of does what you're asking, which is when um, like Rupert Murdoch comes in yeah. and um, Kayla's character goes to Kate McKinnon's desk and mm-hmm. uh, takes out the f- photo of her and her friend that yeah. she had been hiding because she thought that people would judge her for being gay. Yeah. Um, and then she like Kate McKinnon sees right, uh, right. Rupert Murdoch and she puts it back away. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very small moment that does convey that like no things. Right, that the culture is better. not big picture going to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was still small. Right, it was small. I mean, I think this movie is. I think this movie is this year's Vice. But I do yes. think. Oh, absolutely. But I, I think it's way better. I think it's better overall than Vice. But yeah, because it's not as fucking Adam McKay. Right, it's not. It doesn't have all the whimsical bullshit. Snarky. Yeah, all the fourth wall breaking yeah. bullshit. But it also does beg the question of like, how soon is too soon to try making like a, a cogent movie about something? Mm. Like, when can you really say that we have enough perspective on something to make a statement about it in the form of a film? Um, like, is this still too reason a story to really be able to feel like, okay, this is the definitive telling of it, and we have enough perspective on it to be able to be like, here's what's going on? And I don't have the answer to that, but that's a question I've seen critics asking, like, especially as movies are going into production. These things have like just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, do we have enough perspective on it yet to be able to be like, okay, now we can look back and see the significance of that beyond, you know, if you do it too soon, does it become just sort of like a, a news story in the form of a film? Is this what happened when we t- we did that, uh, watch that Boston bombing movie? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't that also, right. didn't I think they the like signed Day? it up like the week after it happened yeah. or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gross. So you just wonder about like, you know, it's almost like on a more of a TV movie schedule. You know, we, we've generally thought of as TV movies as the things that go chasing or as soon as something happened, they're like ripped from the headlines, made for TV Monitor movie. SVU. Right, right, exactly. And then, you know, this movie also has also been, I think Vulture was saying something like, this movie is only sometimes aware that it's about white feminism. Mm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's visually very obvious. <laughs> yes. Um... So back to back to the Showtime show about yeah. this. Is it just that it's hard to watch, but it's better? I mean, I think it's it's more to me. It was more. Um, it's hard to say. It's a really different animal because on the one hand, it's a limited series. I think it was maybe six hours long or something, and um, and it really has a much more. It paints Roger Ailes in like an, a, a much worse villainous light than this movie does the truth is probably somewhere in between Mm. um and it's more about kind of like the entire history of roger ailes and fox news Mm. like it's about kind of where he came from and then the moment like gretchen carlson doesn't even show up as a character until like the fourth episode okay um so it's much more about him and um and his wife is the character and again connie Britton. we should mention wow connie Britton plays his wife in bombshell and she is a treat 
Ain't it good to be the CEO? <laughs> oh, she's so good. She's like, and when they're like, sushi isn't an elite thing. And she's like, I didn't say it was. <laughs> she's so good. Uh, Sienna Miller plays her in the miniseries. Oh. Uh, so, which is, which is, she's under, uh, under a mountain of prosthetics. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and she's also very good. She's mm. very good. So, but yeah, I think if you want a bigger, like a more in-depth picture of like the story of Fox News and how Roger Ailes birthed it and manipulated it and just following basically like the way that Fox News reacted to the news and then eventually took over the narrative of the news, like, you know, looking back to like 9-11 and like the Fox News response mm-hmm. to that and the Fox News response to their relationship with Obama, like the, the loudest voice goes into all that stuff. Okay. Um, whereas this is very specifically... Um, yeah, about how Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson became these sort of like unlikely feminist heroes by speaking up publicly about the you know sexual misconduct they'd experienced because of Roger Ailes mm. and at the hand of Roger Ailes. It's funny. I guess I don't see that it, see it as being a story of them. Oh, also, first of all, thank you for the review. I'm not sure if I want to see it. I think I do. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's unpleasant. And Russell Crowe, like truly, he is he. You can feel his disgust with his character. Um, and he leans into it. I feel like that was missing from this movie. John Lithgow, first of all, it's yeah. impossible not to sound like John Lithgow. Exactly. Um, not all he just makes those sad grandpa faces like, what's wrong? Exactly. I feel like that could have been more harsh. <laughs> yes. And he only has one scene with Margot Robbie where you're really seeing like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it even is kind of, you know, it's all hearsay. Right. You're kind of not until sort of the end do you understand the gravity of, of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I feel like a, a Russell Crowe version. Sound, oh. It sounds gnarly. Oh, it's that's the word. It's Would have gnarly. the movie a It's bit. gnarly. But, but um, yeah, when, it's hard to even view John Lithgow as a villain in this. At all. Like, right? Yeah, you're like, what did he do? And then you're like, yeah, but I guess I do feel sorry for him. Right. He just seems <laughs> like, yeah, he's just like sad grandpa, where like sad grandpa wants a hug. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. oh, okay. Well, now that you say it. <laughs> when you say it. But I, I, framing this movie as it being like the story of like unlikely feminist heroes, I guess I don't see it that way. I see it more as like uh, a, uh, a retelling of something terrible that happened and eventually um, sort of justice was served. I don't. I don't necessarily see them as as heroes in this movie, and and therefore that that's why I, maybe I don't I mean, feel like it was such a victory at the end either. I mean, what they did was heroic. I mean, like I wouldn't take that away from them. Like, apparently, you are trying to take it away from them. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, like any 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 whistleblower um, who comes forward about sexual misconduct, uh, and especially in that culture, I think what the movie does is it shows you the culture mm. at Fox News and why that was an especially... Oh my God, um, Janine Pirro? Janine Pirro, Alana Eubach, give her an Oscar Woo! for playing Janine Pirro. So, so good. So fucking funny. And there's an absolutely, a truly horrifying looking woman who they've cast to play, uh, who they've cast to play Kimberly, Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The look on her face when she's just stomping around that office. Oh my God. In their Team Roger so shirts. Oh. So I think that, you know, the movie shows like why there was so much more cultural pressure to not say anything. Yeah, definitely. And to protect Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think so it is. I think that I think I do think of Gretchen Carlson as a hero, truly. And, um, and you know, Megyn Kelly less so. Um, but, you know, what they did was heroic and what they did <laughs> by coming forward and, you know, naming names and, uh, you know, and taking down this guy when they had everything to, to lose and did, in fact, lose everything. Mm. Um, professionally, I think it's heroic. So, and I think that, you know, I think it is meant to be a story of, of triumph, even though 
like we we're saying that with the performance of John Lithgow, there's you feel less like inclined to, in, you don't enjoy seeing him destroyed. Because he, yeah, as much as he's you just should. like, oh, I, I, what have I done? Oh, and Alice and Janney. Oh God, so good. Alice just so popping good. up randomly to play like two or three scenes as his lawyer with yeah. a, with a thick New York accent. Mm. Oh. So good. Yeah. Complicated movie. Yes. Yes. What are you giving it? It's a consume for me. Mm. Um, I mean, I would give Charlize a binge it for sure. Um, it is, again, truly uncanny. And even Margot Robbie is also fantastic in this. Like, if she gets nominated for Supporting Actress this year, it should definitely be for this over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would say. Oh, absolutely. She's great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give this one a binge it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I guess we uh, fight again. <laughs> Um, it is rated R for sexual material God and language throughout um, Last movie of the week Month Is Uncut Gems A charismatic jeweler makes a high stakes bet That could lead to the windfall of a lifetime In a precarious high wire act You must balance business, family And adversaries on all sides In pursuit of the ultimate win Calling him charismatic is uh, subjective <laughs> <laughs> um, Really? <laughs> you didn't find Adam Sandler charismatic in this movie? I did not. Really? No. Wow. Okay. No. I found him grating. Yeah. I guess one person's charismatic is another person's um, podcast co host. <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, Tough but fair. Safty Brothers. Yes. What's the last movie you saw with the Robert Patterson one? Yeah, Good Time. Good Time. Mm -hmm. Very similar. Very similar. Too similar. Yeah? Didn't like either. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I am not vibrating on these guys' wavelength. I'm just not. Like, mm. this movie confirms it for me. I don't like them. I don't like their movies. I don't enjoy what they do. Um and, you know, I was so excited to see this because, again, the reaction to it has been so superlative. And, you know, Good Time, I didn't think it was like a bad movie. I just really, I was like, okay, this is, I'm not vibing on this movie. And then now that I've seen this, I'm like, okay, I just don't like them. I just don't vibe mm. on their work. I don't enjoy it. Like, they are making movies for a specific kind of person of which I am not that. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's here nor there. That's why these things are subjective. Um, but... I just found it to be I remember it's like Scott came in at the beginning of the movie when I was watching the screener mm -hmm. and was like this is gonna be a lot of yelling I'm like no and after like five minutes he's like it's nothing but yelling I'm gonna go ahead and go in the back and watch something else my my girlfriend had the same issue she was like oh this is a lot of yelling and then she was like it's making me very anxious and then yeah. she was like uh, I'm gonna like just play my phone and then there's this one moment that really like all of the audio and visual factors are so uh, aggressive at the same moment that she like she just breathed and I was like I just took the wheel I shut it off and I was like oh, we'll finish this tomorrow I feel like this is gonna give you nightmares yeah um, she she found it really hard to watch yeah I mean it, it's it, you know it is a feature length anxiety attack like that's very mm -hmm. much what kind of movie this is and um, you know and obviously it, it undeniably has like you know a, a pulsating energy that is nonstop and relentless from first frame to last um, but I guess the story it tells, I just didn't care about. Like, I was not invested in, in Adam Sandler's character. Like, he obviously made a series, he made very stupid choices from the first second of the movie. 
uh, <laughs> you know, like by even letting KG take his precious gemstone, Kevin Garnett. Ooh. <laughs> yes. So this is how I get you to know more about sports. Is yes. By, like having them play themselves in movies. No, the only way to get me to know about it is by having their wives go on Housewives. Oh, okay. that's how I know about these things. I gotcha. Or basketball wives. So. Um. Yeah. So you know, from right from the very beginning, where you know the whole thing is about this sort of precious gemstone that he needs that he's had delivered to him from 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 Africa, and then he lets KG take it with him because it thinks it's going to be good luck, and then he bets against it, then double bets against that, then triple bets against that, and it's just like he, it's just like it's just stupid. Like it's just like setting the stage for nothing but stress and anxiety and failure, and you know, and like and yeah, he's kind of a dick. And no one's likable. <laughs> Not that many people to be likable, but I'm just like, I, I just didn't care. I was like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. You're doing this to yourself. And then you just kind of watch things get worse and worse and worse for him. And uh, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't care. I just didn't care what I was watching. I was just like, well, this is unpleasant. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not having a good time watching it. And Idina Menzel was underutilized. <laughs> <laughs> what a treat that was, though, huh? That was. That see act- her as like a Jersey housewife? I mean, I enjoyed the styling. I did. <laughs> Whenever she was on screen, my eyes went right to her. Mm. Um, there seems to be a lot of excitement about the actress who plays the mistress, Julia Fox, who is, I believe this is her first movie. Mm. Um, and apparently she's actually better known. She's like some sort of like Manhattan party fixture. She's oh. like some sort of gal about town um and um and yeah i think she she does have a, a certain she has like a raw talent like she has a sort of a raw dramatic presence mm-hmm. um i enjoyed her and of course i'm just like where are the women that's you know my question <laughs> i'm like where are the female characters great i'm with them so i don't know um what do you think mm. uh quite the opposite i love this movie okay <laughs> <laughs> um i did feel like you know the constant anxiety i mean it is uh, again uh the the, the soundtrack throughout is uh, impossibly tuned synthesizers that are you know meant to grate on you um it, it's it's like the the greatest minds of all all of the sensory tortures that you could possibly have mm-hmm. um adam sandler yelling uh other people yelling uh buzzers glass breaking um the movie starts off with like a horrific bone injury mm-hmm. and then you have it goes right into this as you mentioned the gambling and the butting against and so all of the anxiety that goes with betting um, and you know the unknown of what's going to happen in a, in a sports event, even, and so it piles on super high. Yet I didn't find it. Uh, you got off on it. I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, you enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed the ride. I think it makes some interesting choices around you know who the villains are, the relationships between business and family. Um, I'm personally not someone who finds gambling very exciting mm-hmm. um it is luckily not a vice that i have but i feel like this movie very easily showed me what like what that lifestyle is like and what it what it is like to constantly be what's the phrase it's like borrowing from peter, peter to, to pay, pay paul, paul. Mm-hmm. um in a in a way that that spirals so out of control so fast and how some people have a like a a relationship with it that isn't as uncomfortable as others and and they're oh they feel confident there's this like idea that things will end up working out um which i found that adam sandler portrayed really well i think that you saw him pushed to limits at times but throughout a, a lot of it it seemed like he was not as concerned as we were about how terrible things were going which either you know it indicates a severe gambling problem um or that this is just a kind of a way of life that i'm not very familiar with 
I don't know. It's a it's a story of a of a man at the precipice of downfall, um, really pushing his luck, and I found it. I found it riveting. I was on board, locked in the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was invested. Um, things. The only thing that kind of pushed me was that the Lakeith Stanfield plays this guy who kind of works as um. What would you call it? like a? He makes introductions between uh, people who want to buy these gems and jewels and and the and Adam Sandler who who sells them, and he introduces it what to to Kevin Garnett. Um, the weekend is in this oh, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Kind of the first moment of of discord is with him and his in like you're not sure if he's keeping his promise or not and if he's going to ruin everything. Mm-hmm. That felt so hard to watch um, as he's like kind of leading Adam Sandler on and you don't know what's going to happen and and, mm-hmm. and his character feels very completely out of control. Um, that that almost pushed me to the point of like not being able to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. Overall, I found it very exciting and. Uh, yeah, I was I was completely locked in the whole time. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I was I I was locked in, but I guess to me it just all felt very one note. It felt like mm. it was sort of hitting the same note over and over again for like two hours. And what and a high pitched! It was a high pitched, ear splitting note. <laughs> uh, and then kind of at the end, there is this kind of glorious, terrible release from that note. Um, and uh, and yeah, the end the end is a shock. Um, and then there is a, yeah I, I the end was probably my favorite part of the movie <laughs> for a few reasons um, but uh, <clears throat> yeah uh, and I do think Am Sandler is great in this although I do still take issue with how almost like how how much it almost makes him more of a monster to me that he can just flip the switch and be in beat as a great actor. Um, but that what he chooses to do, <laughs> what he chooses to do instead is just, you know, have billion dollar production deals on Netflix where he can just take his friends with him to some tropical paradise and make some bullshit movie. Mm. Um, like, obviously, I get why he does that. But, sure. that, but I feel like that's that spits in the face of the art form so much. Um, and it's such a cynical thing to do that, like, I, I, I personally don't welcome him whenever he decides he's going to, like, make a movie where he actually shows off his talent. Mm. Um, cause I feel like it's like, well, you are degrading the entire art form the rest of the time. And now you're just like, oh, also I actually am a brilliant actor. Remember Punch Drunk Love? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I remember. I know you can do this, you asshole. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it just, it just didn't work for me. He does do it. He does it so well because it, he's so abrasive in this movie. Right. And as you called him, what grading? Um, yes. but also so, uh, so human and so easy to feel empathy for. I found an incredible amount of empathy for him. Did you find it believable that um that the mistress would continue to Ted. feel for him? I did. Yeah, I feel like he has that kind of energy that uh, that draws people in, and and that's that whole cycle that you know the, of people that you're watching there, people who are like um, in constantly his orbit. betting. Yeah, this orbit of, of people like betting on fame or betting on you know, luck or sp- talent um, in this way that everything feels like very fleeting. Um, and there's like an, but there's like an energy to that, right? Outside of the predictable, the nine to five kind of life that we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get a taste of how good it could be, um, you know, the people that you can roll with, the the things that you can have, I think it's hard to get to get rid of. And I think that her character is a, you know, an ancillary uh, orbit of the main problem here, which is gems. <laughs> yeah. oh, the the relationship between like the mysticism of the gems, how that kind of I don't know. Takes a roller coaster of a, of a ride. I I was I don't know. I just found it unpredictable and fascinating. You had a good time. I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I found it much better than good time. 
yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I probably th- I I would probably say this is better than Good Time. Yeah. So you're giving this a binge it? I am giving it a binge it. I'm <laughs> it, giving everything a binge it. It's a consume for me. Yeah. 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 That's that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> She'll tweet any follow-up thoughts she has, yeah, guys. We'll see. Um, find me on the interwebs. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe. And Jason, you are on Twitter? On Twitter and Instagram at excessfaggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you again. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.